Welcome to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Fraggle Byrne. Every week, I speak to people who fund and support social innovation in different ways. Grant providers, impact investors of various kinds, angel investors, foundations, family offices and more. They talk frankly about how they work, how they make investment, grant and funding decisions, what they will invest in or support and what they cannot. They talk about the pros and cons of different sources of funding, share lessons and insights, and provide invaluable advice for any social entrepreneur or innovator looking to build and finance a sustainable social business. We call ourselves uh, early growth stage. We look for companies in organics, that would mean both food and skincare, as well as environmental technologies. And that's the mix of our portfolios. We look at companies somewhere in the one to 20 million in sales, generally towards the smaller end of that. We go in at a one to $5 million level on a first check with roughly seven, $8 million total potential into uh, one company. So we're building portfolios of eight to 10 uh, companies. And then once the, we have uh, completed the initial size of the portfolio, in other words, the, the number of companies we're going to invest in, we reserve follow-on capital and at that point move on to building our next fund. The ecosystem of funds, of big players starting to do more direct investing or creating direct investing divisions, um, uh, there, besides the, the, the rise in entrepreneurs themselves, there's a rise in entrepreneurial finance, angel clubs, uh, cashed out entrepreneurs. So there's a big ecosystem out there it's, and, and uh, the, the whole thing is growing. I'm very pleased today to introduce Joel Solomon. Joel is a highly experienced social investor and has invested in over 100 early growth stage companies in North America. Joel was instrumental in the development of the Enswell Foundation, the largest charitable foundation in British Columbia, funding environmental issues in the 1990s. He is currently chairman of Renewal Funds, a $98 million mission venture capital firm investing in early growth stage companies in Canada and the United States. He is co-author of The Clean Money Revolution, which will be published shortly. The Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Echoing Green. Echoing Green drives social progress further, faster, via its Global Social Entrepreneurship Fellowship, now running for 30 years. Echoing Green's new Impact Investment Program aims to bridge the gap between impact investors and social entrepreneurs. To help social entrepreneurs better access finance, to build stronger, more resilient social ventures. You can find out more at echoinggreen.org. Thank you very much, Joel, for taking the time to speak to me today for Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I am delighted to be here with you, Fergal. Yes, it's great to have an opportunity to speak to you, Joel. Uh, you have uh, quite a uh, track record and experience in, in the finance uh, world, in the world of sustainability and sustainable finance. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing at the moment and maybe uh, your background, how you, how you ended up here today, Joel? Okay. I'm the founding partner of Renewal Funds. We're a mission venture capital fund now with uh, 98 million assets under management based in Vancouver, BC, Canada. We invest on 
both sides of the U.S.-Canadian border. Our investor group of LPs is about split between the two countries with several Europeans and a couple Asian families that are in the fund. We are made up of individuals, families, charitable foundations, and a few independent wealth managers who have the ability to uh, support their clients to go off platform. And that is my primary work. Uh, secondarily, I've just completed a book called The Clean Money Revolution, which will come out in May. And then, of course, like many of us, a number of other activities. Right, right. So what, what is renewal? What, what kind of investments do you seek to make and what, what, what is it all about? Okay. We, we call ourselves early growth stage. We look for companies in organics, that would mean both food and skincare, as well as environmental technologies. And that's the mix of our portfolios. We look at companies somewhere in the one to 20 million in sales, generally towards the smaller end of that. We go in at a one to $5 million level on a first check with a roughly seven, $8 million total potential into uh, one company. So we're building portfolios of eight to 10 uh, companies. And then once the we have uh, completed the initial size of the portfolio, in other words, the, the number of companies we're gonna invest in, we reserve follow-on capital. And at that point, move on to building our next fund. Right, very interesting. So what stage of development are these companies? I'm more familiar with, uh, I guess, the earlier stage, uh, more social entrepreneurship, more, uh, I guess, impact uh, uh, defined uh, type of project. What kind of level of, of business uh, are, are you seeing? What stage of development? What kind of turnover do you see? Well, we, we, we want at least a million of sales. And we will, uh, we've, we've gone into companies closer to the 20 million for specific kinds of opportunities. For example, when building a portfolio, we want a nice mix for our investors. And we, we might have uh, a, a two or three out of 10, let's say, just for a conversation, that are much more uh, high risk and and not as as developed yet we we may have uh, four or five that are show you know already into several million of sales maybe six eight million and it's it's a matter of it's a clear pathway to build out and go into more grocery stores or uh, on the environmental technology side to to build the client base that's already started and then we might end up in a couple of situations that uh, are more advanced and provide some stability to the portfolio so that uh, they're already profitable and there might be a situation where someone needs to be bought out of the uh, of their position or we just have an opportunity because they're going to raise bigger capital so we try to do that kind of a mix which gives us a, a bit of uh, risk risk mitigation right now why did you choose these sectors we chose them because of our own history, which was uh, prior work in f food and environmental issues primarily. 
with always a look at the social side of it, uh, worker worker uh, fairness and uh, uh, regulatory uh, uh, following, you know, supporting important regulations that uh, create safer and, and cleaner and that kind of thing. So we, that's that's been the core and it comes out of, I guess, deep roots in for, for decades for the people involved of caring about those issues, being involved in the, right. the uh, for-profit side, but also yeah. not-for-profit. I'm thinking, Joel, I might reframe that question because it might be a good opportunity to talk a bit about your journey, as it were. Okay. Um, what's the best way to do that? Um, so um, I think I'm just going to say, um, how long have you been in, the, uh, in this kind of sector, Joel? I started making personal investments in organic foods because I was diagnosed with a family genetic kidney disease and told that I might die soon. And that caused me to think a lot about what I was putting in my body and what might affect my organs right. and my no, general I'm thinking health. About, I'm thinking about in, in, in the whole social investment sector. Yes. Right. Well, that that was the beginning. Yes. And how so long, how long the, ago? I'm going to ask you that question, but I want to get okay. the number of years right. <laughs> OK. How long have you been involved? In 1982 or three, I made my first investment from a small inheritance and I, so about 30, I wanted so more it. than 30 years. OK, so I'm going to yeah. ask you a question now. OK. Based on that. Yeah. OK. So, Joel, you are, I don't know whether the, we can use this word, but a veteran of the world of social finance. It's 30, 35 years you've been involved now. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey, how you got involved and how you ended up at Renewal today? OK, well, the beginning was a personal health issue. Uh, it had to do with the genetic kidney disease, and it caused me to think a lot about what I put in my body. And though I was being assured by the, uh, let's say, by the grocery stores and even the medical profession that it was all okay, I just didn't have a good feeling that uh, kidney health would would thrive that much with uh, a list of chemicals and additives that I couldn't understand. So that led me to pursue and try to understand organics, which at that time was just some very uh, obscure health food stores that uh, it was hard to know what everything was that you were buying there as well because I wasn't familiar with the products. So one by one, I began making investments in in early organic food companies. The first one was very lucky and notable. I put my first $25,000 investment at the beginning of Stonyfield Farm Yogurt, which was effectively changing the face of of what yogurt meant to the North American consumer because it was unlike the natural product that used to be made as a way to extend the life of milk when your cows or goats uh, you were producing a lot of milk and uh, using natural uh, fermentation. Not fermentation is not the right word, but, uh, but uh, okay, <laughs> to making yogurt naturally. So the yogurt on the market was full of all kinds of additives and supplements and things that uh, I didn't understand what they were. So I invested in Stonyfield. And from there, it just became a one-by-one one, uh, looking at different small businesses and wanting to get my money into things that aligned with my values and my view of the world. 
Right. Well, that's a, a very important combination and a, something that's uh, very timely now. Um, so you, you, your initial uh, work uh, with uh, the, the area of social investment, I guess, primarily was, was around the whole, um, oh dear, I, I, what, what was the organization called? Well, at that time, it was really family money. And I was... Oh, sorry. I was, no, yeah, I was, I was going to go on to the what you were doing. The renew in, oh, the act, the family office. Okay. Yep. Yes. That's that's by the early nineties. Okay. Right. So I mean, because we just want to spend a few minutes going over that. So maybe. Okay. The shorter the, answers. When yeah, no, I just we connect that up because what was the last thing you said? I'm just thinking connecting that up and say, and then I began, then it became a professional role, or or, or yes. just to find a way segueing into what you did. What was that that family office called? Well, in my early investments led me to start to develop an expertise in it. And I met a woman who had inherited a large amount of money and wanted it to be deployed in alignment with her values. And so Renewal Partners and the Innswell Foundation became the beginning of the professionalization of this kind of investing. So it was based in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was brought on as a partner strategist and the implementer to deploy tens of millions of dollars into for-profit, not-for-profit, and still other activities that influence those arenas. Right. Now, you, you, you mentioned that there was a not-for-profit uh, element to the work that you were doing. So presumably, um, the kinds of returns you were looking for or the, or the ways of thinking about returns were very different. In your current role now, Joel, and the work with the renewal funds, what kind of uh, expectations do you have for returns? And why have you focused on that particular uh, segment of the market? Our return target is in the teens, IRR. And our goal is to prove that these are financially viable industries. I think we're past the proof point now, but we continue to invest there. We chose organics, which is both food and skincare, the largest organ in the body as well as environmental technologies. And those two fit first because of our expertise and interest areas, because of our sense that they're very, very important. And they're also a rising tide of uh, both industries where there's a lot of opportunity to make money and cause impact. Right, right. That's interesting. So you, you're targeting uh, above market returns. You're not talking about concessionary uh, finance here, presumably. You're not talking about uh, earlier stage uh, investments where you might not get the same kind of returns. That's right. The, what seemed important to us when we launched Renewal Funds Company in 08 was that there was still a very major need to prove that these were financially viable and, and prosperous industries so that more capital would come in and that lots of things would follow that. So in raising capital from other parties, that was that was also key. And it was also during a great recession. Uh, we we focused on something that was fairly bread and butter to us that looked logical and could be systematically successful. Organic food was growing. Environmental technologies were growing. We had some expertise, connections and network and that's why we focused on what we did and felt that it would be viable, even as a first-time fund manager, to uh, make money for our investors. 
Well, I think that's a really important point you make. And um, it is important to think about what the what the I guess the viability of a project is in a particular sector, you know, and uh, certainly talking to some uh, investors, there just seem to be, you know, um, shall we say exaggerated expectations about the kind of returns that can be made in certain sectors in the bottom of the pyramid and so forth. So I think matching return expectations to the genuine uh, capacity of a particular sector is just crucial. And uh, it's interesting that you've, you've chosen organics and envirotech. Can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe maybe uh, initially with environmental technologies, uh, what do you think of this sector and, and its potential? Okay, well, as we start to define it, it of course, means a, a lot of a lot of possible definitions. For us, because we want existing revenues, we want to invest at, with at least a million in re revenues in a company that's poised to, to grow. We also don't have the capital to go in heavily pre-revenue, and we don't have the capital to do major project funding. So part of the reason we're not in renewables is that those are that's kind of what the opportunities usually are. But we But we do go into, you could say, some of the software or the gadgets, for example, our first one was a water testing and analytics software that helped environmental biologists that were standing in streams and using Excel spreadsheets to simplify, automate, and make more effective their, their data. And that company's gone on to become international and became the lead software for the U.S. Geological Service, et cetera. Then another example is that we're in a business that creates uh, builds and, and uh, advances animal tracking technologies. And they can put a tiny GPS on a minnow, I think even a butterfly, uh, or spare, you know, small birds and that kind of thing, all the way up to collars for uh, megafauna, <laughs> mountain goats and uh, rhinoceros and, and that kind of thing. And why is that valuable? Because we're losing our species and environmental assessment impacts are getting more sophisticated and climate and other issues. So both of those technologies, technology companies effectively do a software or a gadget or a device which uh, provides essential information to science and to decision making for policymakers. Right, right. That's interesting. And is there, um, it's a fascinating area um, and it's something I've come across a little bit in, in previous interviews uh, in, in conservation, particularly, and uh, some of the technology applications there are very interesting. Um, and uh, do you see this as, is this a, is there a lot going on here? Is there, um, how, how would you characterize the the, the investment in environment for these kind of companies. Um, I'm just thinking also of, of the kind of challenges that that uh, entrepreneurs face trying to you know build businesses in these sectors. The opportunities are endless at this point, and they're they're going global. And as uh, information and uh, understanding of, of of ecological systems is becoming more and more apparent. There are more and more entrepreneurs getting into finding ways that they can make a difference on issues that matter while still making a good living or actually making a great financial success. That's very interesting. Um, it, and it's a, it's, it seems to cross so many different areas. Um, so when you in, uh, invest, Joel, do you... Uh, 
can you talk a little bit about that investment relationship? Uh, to what extent, uh, presumably you sit on the board, to what extent you yes. support the entrepreneurs and, and what are the challenges that they face in particular? Okay. So first from our end, it's mission first and then people. So this thing has to matter and we have to care about it and we have to believe they care. So that's the entrepreneur. And then you move into, are they capable, competent, and uh, the, the right people to build to, the, to whatever the next stage is? And do we want to be in business with them? So we have a pretty serious screen about, um, about those, the, you might say, the softer uh, skill kinds of things. But after that, it's an assessment of the marketplace and what are the possibilities of competition and, and can, this, can this product go forward? And succeed. And what's the second half you asked me? Um, forgotten myself. <laughs> Let's see. So the the uh, what, what's our oh, what do we do for the companies? So after we've decided that this fits our uh, preferences and analysis and assessment of of, of a field, we then do t fairly typical for uh, fund managers is. We assess what the company needs, whether we can help that or where we could go to find it. We uh, generally have a board seat. Occasionally, we're an observer uh, if, we're, if we're not the, a major player. And part of our portfolio sometimes is there's just a situational opportunity that uh, we, we do, and we're not the major player. But more typically, we are a major player, uh, in, ideally with other investors that are as well. So we effectively, the answer is, how do we help, is in every way we can figure out to help. So that ranges from we are a B Corp uh, fund and we encourage, not require, our portfolio companies to use that measurement standard so that they and we can uh, identify the impact side of it. We, uh, of course, want to see a growth rate and a pathway to to success and eventually to exit for ourselves and thus our investors. So it's really different in every circumstance. And it's that's where, I guess, among the many art forms come in, which is to assess where can we add value? Where can we find value to add if it's not ourselves? Right. That's our job. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you also get an insight into um, the funding uh, challenges of these kind of organizations because by the time they come to you, presumably they will have uh, raised money from family and friends and wherever they can, yes. I suppose. How would you characterize the landscape for funding for these kind of organizations at their earliest stages? Well, we're in an era of, of entrepreneurism as a growing global religion, in my view. And so you've got uh, very smart people going into creating new companies all over the place. Um, that means that the ecosystem of finance is also uh, evolving and shifting to, to focus there. But for people looking for money, there's never enough money. For people looking to invest, there's never enough good investments. And that is a constant tension of at least perception uh, for people. And however, the ecosystem of funds, of Big players starting to do more direct investing or creating direct investing divisions. Um, uh, there, besides the, the the rise 
in entrepreneurs themselves, there's a rise in entrepreneurial finance, angel clubs, uh, cashed out entrepreneurs. So there's a big ecosystem out there. It's and and uh, the the whole thing is growing. Yes. For the individual company, well, they may have struggles. They may not be connected to the right people. They may not be in the right location. It's, they may not have the right skill sets. Yes. Yes. Do you call the 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 uh, investees are they social entrepreneurs? Well, social entrepreneur. All all these terms, you know, are, don't have very <laughs> fixed definitions. So, it, I if I say social entrepreneur to a lot of people with money, that means a concessionary return rates. Yes. So. I think they're social entrepreneurs, but we don't promote it that way. We say they're entrepreneurs. Yes. And yeah. we say, and you noticed that word I used in our definition, that we are mission venture capital. Well, that term is meant to signal to investors that we do think about that and we prioritize it. And so when we say social entrepreneur, that is so broad. Is it for profit? Is it not for profit? So, so. It's just a matter of definition, really. Yes, yes. And the entrepreneurs that you're seeing, um, how investment ready would you say they are? To what extent are you seeing uh, lots of uh, projects, uh, lots of good ideas that um, aren't investment ready? Or, or what would you say are some of the um, areas where the, the entrepreneurs uh, in these sectors could do more, should do more to uh, raise money successfully? Well, we have to stick to our focus area. So we want companies in the one to $20 million sales range, which means they've already proved something there. There's a real product there and they, 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 they can pull off a certain amount of things. Uh, chasing money is, uh, is, is, an, is another part of business that a lot of entrepreneurs didn't, uh, <laughs> that's not why they went in there, especially the social entrepreneurs, so to speak, or the mission entrepreneurs. They didn't go into business for that reason. But there is an ecosystem, the universities, the incubators, the accelerators, uh, information is spreading more quickly. So there are more and more entrepreneurs who, in fact, do know a lot about the, the ecosystem of, of raising capital. However, capital always sets the higher and higher bar. So this is a probably a permanent tension between uh, those who want to make money and those uh, make money by investing and those who want to build great companies and make money that way. So there's not an easy answer to it. Yes. But we yes. find entrepreneurs more and more equipped and we're not able to our particular focus does not allow us to invest unless they they have that broad set of skills that yes. are that are necessary to grow a company. Yes, yes. What about the supply of capital? Because I know um, more generally, and, 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 and I'll be interested to get your view on this when we talk about your, your, the book, uh, your, your new book. Um, uh, to, to what extent, um, or can you talk a little bit about the supply of capital to these uh, sectors? Presumably organics is an area where more than, more than many is, is pretty well established uh, and very brand-led, marketing-led. Presumably, there's a lot of money uh, looking at the, this, these kind of investments. And can you talk a little bit about the su supply of capital for these uh, entrepreneurs? And what impact does that have, uh, the potential for 
you know, very large sums of money coming in and kind of classic venture capital style uh, investment uh, supporting, you know, one or two uh, companies in a particular niche and so forth. The first thing I'll say at a macro level is there's a vast amount of money in the world and that amount of money is growing. Second is structural issues about where that capital goes and why it goes there and what the systems are that are available to deploy that capital. We are still at the early stages of how capital moves into the entrepreneurial level. So most capital is tied up in well-established things. Trading pieces of paper called stocks that aren't actually investing in the company, but are investing in a piece of paper that gambles on the rise and fall of, of, of the stock price. When you move to the entrepreneurial level, there is a surge of capital going there for all kinds of reasons. And then if you move to the social or mission or the uh, do-gooder uh, companies, that is also growing. And the reasons that I think that's happening is because the challenges of the world are we have more information, we know them better, and there are often uh, business or financial solutions that can at least help. You can't solve everything that way, but you can help a lot of things. So when you move to a field like organic food, when I started it 35 years ago, it was considered you might as well just be going to uh, throw money into the ocean or something. And it was considered silly and, and uh, not, not uh, reputable. Well, that's now changed. Organic food is a boom industry. There's money all around it. The big food is, is growth rate is slowing dramatically. Organic food and natural is growing dramatically. And so big food is now coming in. The investors in big food are starting to come in. And if you go to the conferences and the places where these are available, uh, organics is a boom, and it's still less than 6.5% of the North American food dollar and probably less than 1% globally. So what do you think? Is that a good investment opportunity or not? Yes, clearly. But is there danger of a bubble? I mean, you're, yes. in, in, you're in organics and environmental uh, technologies, as you say, and uh, it does seem in, in financial investment cycles, they, uh, they, 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 there's booms and busts, there's bubbles. Uh, the, the growth uh, trajectories seem to overshoot. Um, is that something that you think about? Of course. And right now, uh, given the circumstances in the U.S., we're pretty concerned about a major uh, correction, financial uh, market correction. And so if you think about the fact that there are booms and busts and there's recessions and things, <coughs> excuse me, which industries do you want to be in? Well, food is going to keep happening. Uh, we believe that environmental technologies are going to keep happening as species collapse, oceans acidify, climate change increases. There, there's going to be more and more sur even survival need, but hopefully intelligent need for these things. So if you if you go into, uh, you know, there's other people that invest in other sectors. And all the thing I can say is for us, these are basic. Right. So we have a better chance of weathering the storms. Yes. Yes, yes. Now, I, I do want to come on to talk to you about your book, Joel. Just before that, I, I'd like to get your perspective on uh, the investor's perspective. Now, you mentioned you've got investors, you've got families, um, uh, you've got all kinds of investors, uh, both in Canada and across the border. 
And I think that's one of the, uh, well, interesting, but also challenging aspects of this whole area, this whole social finance, whatever you might call it, is that uh, there's so many different investors with so many different sets of criteria. How do you think about that? Obviously, you could say, well, every investor is different. Are there a couple of uh, ways of distinguishing meaningfully between different kinds of investors? Oh, that's a big question. I, I would I'll start with what, who our investors are. So we, we think we present a fairly common sense premise. We're not doing anything that exotic for good or bad. You know, it'd be fun to be more exotic. But right now, we're, we're, there's an opportunity to just do basic uh, businesses that, that look like they have a good growth trajectory. So once there's the credibility, they do the same thing we do. They want to know that we're authentic about what we say we care about. They want to know that we're capable and we can pull off what we say we're going to do. And they want to know that we're, they want to know we're honest and they want to know that uh, we, we, we have experience and, that, and, and track record. So if once you have those things in place, there's a lot of capital in the world and there's more and more capital looking for what's being called impact investing or aligning more with your values. So we have a track record in history. We're doing, uh, we're, we're proud of how we're doing and we have constant more uh, uh, prospects that want to know about our next fund and that kind of thing. So it gets easier to raise money over time with track record and familiarity of relationship. For bigger categories of investors, it that's a that's a gigantic uh, question, but but now, the category that I spend my time in are investors who are beginning to connect their money with who they are and what their values are, what they tell their children, uh, how they want to be remembered in the world, what their legacy is, and they want to do that every day. They doing it with their shopping, they're doing it with how their households are, they're doing it with with many choices they make. So that investor base is is hugely growing and as wealth moves generationally, the values that it's moving to, you, you there's all kinds of studies now that will tell you the percentages of people that say they would rather buy or they would rather invest in things that represent who they are as people and what they believe in. Well, that's right. And uh, certainly uh, all my recent conversations have been very inspiring on that front. And that uh, it takes us to uh, your, your, your new book, uh, Joel, and this um, you know, major change that's, that's, that we're in the middle of at the moment, or maybe at our early stages. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your, the, the book? What, what's clean money? And, and how did you, you know, uh, decide to, to, to write a book about this, Joel? I decided to do it because I'm now in my 60s and I consider it a responsibility of those of us that have had the privilege to get to get exposed to lots of things and have have a really good life to share what we can, uh, particularly for younger people but also for people that are looking at their legacies. So you can tell from what I've said that I have a lot of feelings that go beyond just, it's not about just making money. Making money is a tool, but the real underlying goal is how do we protect and make a great civilization for future generations? So that is, that's the underlying motivation. 
Meanwhile, then, I'd go back to things I've said about the growth of these industries, and I would say that I tried to come up with a term, and it wasn't easy. Clean money is way too definitive, but it starts a conversation. What, is, what does that mean? What am I trying to say? I'm saying that my dollars, it matters to me if they're helping or hurting people. They're, they're improving or damaging the ecosystems that are going to keep humanity and other species alive for hundreds of years into the future. That's my responsibility as, as a human, I believe. And I think that that once was the basic responsibility of people, of all of us, when we were more tribal and uh, didn't have everything we have today, was how do we keep future generations going? So money has become a very, very powerful force and, in fact, can, as far as I'm concerned, destroy a lot or enhance and improve many things. So the book is... is is a look at these moral and ethical questions and philosophical questions and the fact that there is an industry, a clean money industry, that is growing rapidly. There's a demand set coming from millennials who in just the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, I'd like say North America, are going to inherit as much as $50 trillion by 2050. Those trillions of dollars are moving from, from hands that grew up during one point of view in a time in history, and they're going into hands of people who are going to make the future. And their values are different. Remember that, well, I, I don't know how old you are, but I don't think there was a, an internet when you were born. And, <laughs> and just that alone, so, so the rapidity of industrialization and, and advance of civilization in its Beautiful side is dramatic, and but we're still learning what does all that mean, and and how does what's going to happen to the future of of seven billion people going on ten billion, and all of the systems that it takes to uh, create a good life for those people. So we're in a very disruptive time. There's massive capital in the world. It's becoming more and more awakened. And we need to build the infrastructures in the finance world and the business, and we need to reinvent every part of our economy, buildings, transportation, energy, food systems, all of it. That is a massive economic opportunity. And if it's done with long-term thinking and intelligence and a screen for fairness and a good life for, for everyone, we have a chance to see what civilization go forward for a long time into the future. And if we don't, I'm very concerned about the, the outcome. Well, that's a, uh, a great vision, Joel. What makes the difference? We see so many situations, so many cases where you know, sectors of the economy hold areas where finance wasn't involved, where we didn't see finance um, or have expectations that are now play a, a, an increasing role. And some are very worried about what happens when finance comes into social systems, the implications. Yes. Um, and have, have you any thoughts on the kinds of structures or how, how you make sure that you don't end up in a situation where it's just, you know, aggressive, uh, return-seeking, uh, 
you know kinds of kinds of capital that that don't aren't concerned about these other issues you know you see on the stock market you know algorithm driven investment extreme short termism you know you look at so, so many areas of the of the economy that that you know the health you could argue health health sector other sectors where uh capitals come in and 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 the kinds of returns that investors are looking for there can have a huge impact on the way those sectors evolve um on the other hand as you say we we see these uh i mean moving from philanthropy to to social investment we see some uh models and 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 growth still from a very small base and interest in in in, in this more aligned uh investment that you're talking about um a big topic but do you have any thoughts about how you, how how do you make sure that you avoid the, the the some of the excesses and dangers that we've seen very complicated question and a wonderful challenge and i choose to invest in hopeful invest my life into hopeful answers to those very difficult questions i'm highly concerned about the state of things and all of the risks and dangers that you've hinted at are real. So we need the spiritual and religions, the religious uh, institutions to start talking about these kinds of morals and ethics and, and these bigger pictures. Uh, Pope Francis has been an example of that that most of us know about. We need government institutions that actually think long-term and about the commons and the well-being of the future and therefore can make regulatory and many other choices that will affect that. We need the education systems to begin helping us understand what money is, where it came from, what it does while we're sleeping at night, and how it can be done better. And we, and I can go on from there, but I'll stop and say this is bigger than than anyone I know can figure out today, but we have to raise this conversation. We have to demonstrate models with our lives and our work. We and we have to reclaim knowing that we came from somewhere and that we are responsible as ancestors for the future. And we've got to do the best we can given the complexities of today to just be that uh, be those models. It's a great vision, Joel. It is, a, it is a, a very complex and uh, so many dynamics and we are a time of such uh, transitions. But uh, that is a great vision. Um, on a more mundane level, Joel, uh, maybe as a final question, uh, looking at uh, renewal, um, where, what is your vision and, and aspirations for the next five, ten years? Well, I've taken on the mantle of... Uh hanging myself out there with a bunch of opinions and uh, stories by, by writing, which leads to speaking and interviews like this. I hope that uh, we can continue modeling in our investment fund a very pragmatic version of what do I do today with money. Maybe it's halfway house, maybe it's transition, but it's very important and it's still on the edge to offer somebody money that will offer somebody the opportunity to make money while increasing the values and per meaning and purpose sensitivity of why we're investing and who and what we're investing in. And 
I will continue with my other activities we haven't talked about to attempt to bring people together to think about these larger questions, but always with my style is always with very deep involvement in the pragmatic and the the the, the mundane in a way that we because we that we need philosophers and visionaries and and academics, but we need everybody to know that they have choices, they have they they do have some power and that they can choose to think long-term and big picture and make, be, and demonstrate that kind of conviction. And I don't, that's about as far as I can go. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to solve this, but those are the ways I hope to con contribute. That's a great vision, Joel, and I wish you the very best success uh, with Renewal and uh, with all the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for taking the time today to speak to Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. It's been uh, really a pleasure. For me as well. Thank you so much, Fergal. The Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship at Santa Clara University in Silicon Valley provides rigorous training to help social entrepreneurs succeed with a special emphasis on climate resilience and women's economic empowerment via its in-person and online programs. Since 2003, Miller Center has paired top-level Silicon Valley executive mentors with enterprises from 65 countries. Find out more at www.scu.edu backslash Miller Center. Thank you for listening to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I hope you found this interview valuable. Please make sure to visit financingsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.